but uh, it's interesting too like there's the i feel like another another observation that i've or at least that i'm trying to make um that as to what is behind kind of this concrescence that you're talking about or just this coming together and this you know everything seems to be uniting into this or, or just coming together and opening up in, in a way that's exploding awareness and everything. It's just that on a, in a, if you could kind of describe it in a, in a mechanical sense, it's like certain thresholds that have always just been floating out in the ether um, as this potential, as this theoretical potential, those thresholds have been crossed and it's like, if you a good a good um, example of this in a very practical sense is the the recent kind of explosion of AI development and like deep learning yeah. and a lot of that type of stuff and a simple a simple metric that has led to the the capability that now exists is just the fact that boom all of a sudden there was this we passed a threshold of how much data needs to exist for uh, a piece of, you know, an algorithm to to parse through before, for it to for uh, for it to grow a neuron, you know, like that's what these that's what these deep learning uh, systems are essentially doing. They're just <clears throat> like they put. I, I, I was reading about this. I think it's at MIT where they they designed um, a deep learning uh, uh, mechanism or scheme or whatever where they just showed it YouTube for 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 like three weeks constantly it just they just made an algorithm watch youtube and it literally grew neurons or, or the equipment you know the digital equivalent of being able to recognize uh baby faces and cat faces or and mm. cats right that was the result is that it, it the, not, all on its own in its own process of training itself to perceive the content of youtube the first thing to emerge were these neurons that were made for for recognizing faces and recognizing cats and that was before you had literally enough video that you could show this algorithm that was not possible you know and it literally just a certain threshold was crossed where now boom it's possible right and and we have a the other thing other thresholds that have been crossed is now there is what three billion people online you know, right, for right. and that and, and and maybe the number just just hypothetically, let's say that at two billion nine hundred and forty seven million is when suddenly there was just enough interaction between people that exploded this completely unprecedented form of awareness and dynamics between between people and and the systems that they use um, that just had never happened before because the, the, we just had never re reached those numbers, you know, mm. just the same way that like, or like with deep fakes, you know, I, I actually experimented and made some deep fakes of my own and, and in the process learned, I, I had many false starts that looked fucking horrifying and learned that, no, you, there's just a certain number that you have to get to of facial information before it's ever going to be effective so you just so <clears throat> so i fed it you know 15,000 pictures of a face instead of just 10,000 which seems like a lot but it's not still not enough right so i think i think you can you can point to a lot of different um examples of just th thresholds being crossed that that open up all of these new types of possibilities that have never existed before, mm. you know? And, and I think that by capping it the way that McKenna did by, you know, and, and not, and not, you know, he was just short, maybe, maybe the threshold was 2020, you know, this, but, you know, I mean, just, uh, just as a response to what you just put together there is, do you know, that was a common thing he said, he said, it doesn't necessarily mean the world would end. He said, it might also mean that's when AI comes online. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, just to say, you know, where, where do you where do you make those distinctions? 
And then while we just listen to your new new slash old interview <laughs> uh, with uh, Eric McCoon. Which- well, yeah, I mean, the, the whole the whole thing, the I never I, I was listening back to that. And I was I was annoyed with myself uh, when we were briefly talking about AI right at the end of the talk. And I didn't really make the point I was wanting to make. But it still was interesting anyway. I was saying, you know, if you look at the history of of just the idea of artificial intelligence, which goes all the way back to ancient civilization, um, the 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 language surrounding the idea in terms of describing like what this thing called artificial intelligence or whatever term was, has been used historically, this uh, the language surrounding that that's describing what it's going to do or what it's going to be capable of is always limited to the scope of what that culture's awareness of what is humanly possible, right? So my, my point being like, I remember just in my own lifetime, uh, very, very reputable or, or legit so, um, sources talking about AI would put, would say, you know, um, something that would be remarkable or, or a sign of, of a great advancement towards AI or the dawn of AI itself would be if it could you know, win it, beat a grandmaster at chess. And then that happened. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, it turns out that that that's, that's not AI. Okay. And then what AI would actually be able to do is interpret natural language and win at jeopardy. Although maybe that wasn't the specific goal, but then they, you know, Watson comes along and is a natural language interpreter and wins at jeopardy. And then suddenly it's like, well, that's not AI yet. You know, what AI would have to be able to do is, is be creative. And and now, I mean, that's actually already happening now. It's not necessarily producing good results, but there's all sorts of examples you can find online of like of like movie scripts composed entirely by an algorithm or music or whatever. And um, and it's just I feel like it's just this carrot that we're dangling out in front of our faces all the time. And, and as soon as we bite it, we're like, oh, that's not a carrot. You know, the thing further ahead, that's a carrot. You know what I mean? And, and now just can I make say one thing here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is uh, I because one I, I realized I wanted to clarify a point and not to be a downer, but to say I wanted to clarify a point. I said earlier, hey, I'm not scared of coronavirus because things feel very positive. I mean that in a personal way, saying not on a grand on a grand scale. Like we can see certain situations in our world that like are not great. And something about your what you said there, because I, I normally I'm pretty positive. Um, I, I think positively about AI, but just something you said there and at the end reminded me that in uh, 1984, Orwell refers to them as novel writing machines. There's uh-huh. no discussion of what that means in terms of artificial intelligence. He just refers to the novel writing machines. But uh-huh. say like is What's again. Yeah, not not to distinguish, not to you know, not to your point of like, oh, we were just moving the carrot, but it's also to say like, it's a it's a matter of perspective. Um, right. Well, that's the thing. It's like, it's always, um, yeah. I mean, it is a matter of perspective because our perspective keeps shifting every time uh, we invent something that that successfully executes the goal that we had that we <laughs> right had defined, yeah. that we had defined uh, before you know in the process Each of inventing success it. redefines the landscape in which everything else is working absolutely and my point is is in that that i kind of made or i got across to to eric before he had to get off the phone was that if you trace that that if you trace that logic all the way back to its source then the very act of the human act of abstraction or representation, you know, use of symbol or any, any, any type of externalization of, of reality and storing it somehow into an object, whether it's tangible or, or intangible, like writing or, you know, any kind of symbolic uh, act is that's the birth of AI in its, in its most basic form. It's not, it's not, you know, it's extremely crude AI, but it's still AI. It's still, it's basically just, it's 
a storage system, like the crudest AI is just storage, you know, and, and the most advanced AI that we can imagine is storage plus uh, retrieval plus processing plus all of these, you know, additional um, actions that, that we've been able to identify that humans do. You know, and consciousness even is is a part of it, right? Or all of the elements that 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 cause consciousness, right? But I think that you know, if in a grand in a grand scheme of things, you know, I like to think that the you know all forms of of media and innovation in the McLuhan sense um, could easily be kind of construed as as a form of AI. But there's a there's a huge question about AI. Like if it's a, basically what it is, is it, we want to create something that's indistinguishable from us, you know. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but if we can do that, you know, that if we can create something fully programmable that's indistinguishable from us, that means that we are fully programmable, right? Meaning that this the whole yes. philosophical question Absolutely. of free will. Free will goes, goes out the window along with the soul, right? So there is no soul, you know, there's no, there's no free will, there's no soul. So those, those questions in philosophy are answered, right? But um, that's the thing, you know, like, uh, <laughs> can, we ever, can we ever come up with something that's indistinguishable from us? Or even if we do, um, yeah, even if we do, um, for one, uh, is the question of the soul answered? You know, um, does this thing have a soul? You know, have we have we have we recreated a space for for a, a soul to fill? You know, it's it's another possibility. Um, hmm. Or is it impossible? You know, it's impossible because we have a soul, and these things that we create don't. Um, I don't know. Like once once we once we accept that right once we accept that uh, um, yeah we these things can be uh, can be programmed and therefore we are we are the same as they are um, then for me that that ends it you know that, that it just means I'm a machine that's fully programmable um, there's no free will there's no uh, um, yeah, like I said, there's no, there's no soul. There's no, there's no necessity of God. There's no afterlife. There's, there's none of it. We, we might as, we just say at that point that the, uh, that the uh, materialist atheists have won. <laughs> you know, um, hmm. but I don't, I don't know if we'll ever get to that point. I don't think we ever will. Um, I don't think we will either. If AI told us that there was another force that existed. Like, oh, you motherfuckers ain't there yet, but, like, I can see electromagnetic gravity waves and, and there's all this other, you know, whatever, right? Wait, 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 let me can, back up for a second. I want to make sure I'm following you. You're saying, hypothetically, uh, um, we have an AI that exists and it's informing us that it's perceiving some dimension or force that we, even beyond what we've discovered outside of our sensory Correct. perception there's some additional thing that's so okay keep going right. this is great i guess keep i guess going. my point would be i think then that rather than a nihilist response would be a so like that would be met with almost religious response in or or you know whatever an evident or all these sorts of things that you could read into those, as you said, what, where does that go culturally? Where does that, what does that immediately imply? And so that my example was a specific one was to say like, what if they discovered it? But I also wanted to throw in, what if essentially the missing, okay, all right, I'm just gonna spit it out. In, you know, in, the, in terms of like golems, right? Or like anything like that of imbuing something with a life force it's like the pinocchio story right why did was kubrick so obsessed with pinocchio with, with artificial intelligence because it's like at what point does is there a spark of life and that 
that spark is still a separate conversation from the like Westworld style. You can make some. You could make. There could be a cyborg sitting next to me, and I don't know. They're so real, I don't know it. Does that mean I'm also a machine, or does it mean we've discovered some sort of spark that? I but think is that, is that a threshold? Is that a like? When it is a threshold. I think it is. I absolutely think it's a threshold. And I think that what you're talking about and what Denor's talking about, too, is like there is a point, a finite point, or I, I think there could be a finite point at which a human being, even though we may not have, have taken it as far as as building us, creating a soul or, or and declaring that, you know, there is the, like Zanor said, the atheist materialists win. Um, but there still is a point at which the average human would believe and, and would, would as, as to the absolute limits of their perception would be utterly convinced that something uh, did possess a soul purely by mimicry or by imitation. And I think that that's what, does that make sense? So it, it, it's, maybe the people behind the curtain are fully aware that this is just uh, a, a new software patch that they've added, but the effect is, you know, it's like they still haven't necessarily, they don't, or at least the people building it don't believe that what they're creating is, is something with a genuine life force or a soul, but it's enough, you know, like once again, that threshold still has been crossed where it's enough that, that, a person sitting next to this cyborg is, is going to be utterly convinced that they're, that they're human. It, it, it still means though, that the people programming these things are nihilists. <laughs> you know? Sure. Sure. Which, no, which that, makes, that's true. Which yeah. makes a big difference, right? It, it's like, uh, right, it's right. what, what, what Nietzsche said, like, uh, it's like, um, it, it doesn't really matter on a popular level if people don't know that God is dead, but it, it it's, it's just, all of the uh, all of the thinkers of the time coming to the point where they can no longer believe in the traditional view of God, that's what changes things, you know. Mm. Um, so it's like uh, the people at the top are still they don't believe it. They know that it's uh, we're we're just basically um, lines of code ourselves, you know. Um, yes, but there's another element. You know, there's, there's like you're saying, there's the the spark or the soul. Um, so you, but, yeah, and you guys, well, okay. So just to be real, we're kind of like conflating, and then we're having three different sort of mental pictures that are overlapping in different ways in our little scenario here. But um, okay, if we're talking they, the they, quote unquote men behind the curtains they believe in magic right <laughs> like okay you know i don't care if like i i could try and talk about magic to somebody on the street and they don't get it like i'm sure if i could get the ear of i don't know fucking I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of an example of some fucking one Jeff Bezos or somebody. You tell me they, they don't fucking like watching the weird fucking ritualistic behavior of these schmucks. You think that they're I don't know. I, I feel like they they believe what so, the people at the top and or like the the mega elite. I think mega elite believes 100 percent in magic. Oh, I, Do, I agree with that by, the, by their actions. Yeah. I, I agree too. It's it's um uh, it's a question of, of of what kind of magic they believe in. Um, I was just well, reading, yeah, I mean, uh, just the act of attaining that status. I would, if I attained that status, I would believe in magic. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, you gotta think. I mean, would, and yeah. and honestly, if what is having billions of dollars to wipe your ass with is magic, you're like, I want this. Poof, it happens. That's magic. Oh. Well, for sure, especially the, the those billions come from nothing, right? Right, no. right. But it, so, but that's so the, that's that's the thing, though. It's like uh, I I was just reading um um three books of occult philosophy by uh by Agrippa, like uh, Henry Cornelius oh, yeah. Agrippa, 
Yeah, you sent me a clip of that. They, um, which came on in the in the Renaissance, right? And uh, so the three books of of occult philosophy are three different types of magic: um, natural magic, which is the magic of the the elements like uh, um, air, earth. Uh, I was gonna say wind and fire, uh, water, water and fire, right? And uh, and and using these natural elements um, and tables of correspondence and and symbols and everything else, and that's the kind of magic that you see in corporate logos and and so on. Like that that stuff mm-hmm. has come out in the alternative media years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Freeman, etc. You know all those people. Um, the second the second form of of uh, of magic is celestial magic or mathematical magic and that's based on the magic of the spheres the magic of the uh, um, the, the the seven the seven planets up to the uh, up to the fixed stars and the third type of magic is ceremonial magic where you're dealing with the magic of uh, angelic and demonic entities beyond the stars and then the highest level of magic is uh, is basically Christian, right? For for Agrippa, because he in in his philosophy, like he's he's a Neoplatonic philosopher, but in in that he's a Christian as well. But in in that philosophy, Christianity is is the highest point of magic because that's when Christ is the moment when matter and spirit unify as one. So the highest form, the absolute highest form of magic for Agrippa in, in that book is uh, are the names of Christ, right? Like the uh, invoking Christ. Um, so this is the weird thing. So I think it, I, I completely agree with you guys that um, the elites work with magic, um, but they're not using the highest forms of magic and they're preventing the highest forms of magic from being... Uh, really taken seriously um well what you just said about you said the christ would be the high is the highest form because it's the moment when what happens when matter when and, s- and spirit unify like there's a there's this there's this massive there's this massive problem in in philosophy in ancient philosophy like pre-christian philosophy of uh you have you have the world the world of matter and the world of matter is is completely changing all the time and imperfect, etc. And then you have this this ideal world of spirit, which is completely the opposite of that. Um, and but if it is completely the opposite of that, it's it's completely transcendent of this world. So there's no way to get to it. Like how how do you arrive to the point where you can even um, like experience God or, or get get to get beyond the spheres. So um, this is so so Neoplatonic philosophy said there's all these emanations, like these varied emanations that that uh, go all the way down to matter, and then and then Christian philosophy simplified the whole thing, and it was like God came down to earth, sacrificed Himself, and matter and spirit were unified. There was a there was a marriage of of uh, of heaven and earth. Yeah. So just to say, sorry, my my making you repeat that was sort of to drive home a point that we're talking in terms of artificial intelligence and the moment when it would become actual life or something that we would recognize not as, oh, it is properly mimicked being a human, but that it is alive. And that to me is a different conversation. I don't think a guy in a laboratory, an engineer, cannot program life into a computer or or whatever we want to you know anything like that that doesn't mean i don't think that the artificial intelligence to use the phrase that that artificial intelligence would not become alive in a way that we would then the philosophy question is if instead of being erased would be all the more driven home. It's like uh, right, right. That's, man, man that's... can build the shell. Man can build the container for the intellect, but the being itself is nonetheless imbued with 
whatever this is <laughs> right yeah yeah that's another thing that i that i consider like that's that's the other way um exactly what you said like uh it's um it's like an animism or a yeah it's 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 the ai as world soul and that's what mckenna got into too like that's what he was talking when he when he would say ai i think that's what he meant because he would he would parallel this point of singularity that he thought would happen in 2012 with with Christ. Um, oh, it's okay. Another... So, sorry, I, I, sorry to interrupt you. I just want to say I, I, I'm I'm not necessarily saying that 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 moment that vision a vision of that I'm describing does not have to be that this robotic savior. Uh, you no, know, yeah, I don't I don't mean that either. I'm, sure, I'm, I'm not... sure. I just yeah. I, well, I just want to clarify to say that literally like. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the ending of 2001: A Space Odyssey. Uh, to be cliche, but to say like it's literally one one art, one robot, one cyborg, um, you know, whatever cyborg suddenly becoming intelligent and self-aware. That spark of one life to me would be highly significant. It doesn't mean that is the Messiah. It, it maybe it would be too robot, <laughs> yeah, humanity or whatever. Or but, robots that came later. Right, that's what I'm saying. Maybe they they would see that as their, you know, uh, Una El Christ figure. You're you're literally the one. You are the first. Blah blah blah. I could see that whole shtick, but my point is simply to say that one birth. You know, thinking of this in terms of like we, we picture things on such a large scale. When literally these little micro miracles, you guys have little micro miracles in your lives. That one birth is a, it's not um, a new Jerusalem of uh, digital Zion. It is not a, a mis- new mis- return of a Messiah, but it is, it is Christ in that the terms that you were describing of the marriage of spirit and matter, that that moment, that energetic, that level of magic would be there in every birth, in every moment when that yeah, awareness definitely. suddenly switches on. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's and I I completely agree with that. It's um yeah, I just wanted to clarify too when I when I'm talking about Christ, I don't. I don't mean it in the in the sense of Messiah, you know. It's 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 more in the sense of like a, as a symbol, you know, as a symbol of what Christ represents. Um, even in philosophy or in in, uh, in uh, yeah that whole that whole tra- tradition of uh, Platonic or Neoplatonic philosophy. Um, you mean it's almost like the concept of the Ur phenomenon. Yeah. Um, Remember that term? Like, uh, it's a, I think Goethe invented that, but then Walter Benjamin. We talked about this, Alan, you and I, about this, yeah. in, a previous, right. in a previous episode. Um, but just this, con- it's, it's once again, it's, it's almost like a singularity. It's where, where a word and idea and thing and object um, all kind of intersect and collide simultaneously. And each element imbues and informs the other elements and they all merge together. And, and, and it sounds like what you're describing is when you refer to Christ as an event like that. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah, definitely. It's, a, um, so, so yeah, AI could be that, you know, um, that's, well, I think, I think the thing is, is like, if, if, if the, you know, we've been talking about also this idea of, um, when we want, when we want an AI or, or when we expect an AI entity to resemble a human entity uh, to the point where they're indistinguishable. Um, it seems to me that if, if as far as at least human intelligence, I mean, there's that's the word human is, is right there in the, at the, at the beginning of the phrase. And it's, to me, it's a, you know, a disembodied intelligence is is an oxymoron, right? Yeah. Where like yeah. you have, I mean, this is actually this is actually legit uh, concepts floating around in the world of robotics, even like, um, you know, uh, 
there are discoveries that, that were made back in the early 90s about how even the most basic, extremely closed system algorithms uh, um, that were like, for example, the algorithm that a, um, a Roomba uh, robot vacuum cleaner uses mm -hmm. to, to navigate around on a floor. Um, it's like, it, it was the kind of thing where it was simply impossible to implement uh, an effective um, version of that algorithm without a physical object to implement it into that could mm -hmm. actually go out and have to traverse uh, an environment. And this whole idea that how intimately connected the body is to the mind and mm. and how intelligence and consciousness and awareness are um, are so intimately intertwined with physical uh, having a physical body being an awareness of that body in an environment the capability of that body to to sense and perceive and interact with that environment those things are all so carefully interdependent and connected that um, I mean, to me, it, it recalls, speaking of Pinocchio and Kubrick, it recalls the, the movie, the AI movie, um, mm. where, which is, is kind of a hokey, corny movie, but um, it's, it's almost impossible. If you want to take that concept through its logical conclusion, you can't help but make something in today's language. Uh, um, it's almost impossible not to make it kind of uh, sentimental and corny because there is this, you're forced to say, well, an intelligence, a genuine intelligence that's artificial can only arise uh, through uh, the, the same human experience we all share, which is being born right. into right. a body, having a mother that, that is your guardian and your provider that you are wholly dependent on for survival, and all of the bonds that are formed between your mother and, and the child that are this intangible but unbelievably powerful and critical element for all of these later and more sophisticated notions of intelligence to ever arise or emerge, right? So without that foundation of familial bonds and attachment of your consciousness to your body and its environment and 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 the, and and the sense of dependence you have and fear of of loss and abandonment all of that stuff it's all wrapped up into this complex web that can't that has to exist before mm. something recognizable as human intelligence can ever develop and emerge yeah exactly and it, so it, yeah that goes back to what Alan was saying. It's like it once that once we take that into account, it's like then then our lived experience day to day is already that. You know, it's exactly. like if we're, if we're looking for the um, imbuement of like the the world spirit into matter again, it's already happening. <laughs> it's happening all the time. Yeah, it's happening. Like the that that's it. You know. Yeah, no, and that's that's kind of uh, which it, and 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 that's such a that's such an empowering like realization or affirmation because absolutely it's, it's like uh that's my whole world we we, we 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 <laughs> none none of us are are uh, cutting edge technologists or anything we're not going to get to the singularity that way you know that's that's almost that's more exclusive than it was in ancient days you know in, in terms of a priesthood or whatever you know mm -hmm. um but we we can get there if it's just if it's our own experience every day you know that's already Absolutely. here because well, yeah well, there's no well there's no traveling necessary it's already yeah. come to you yeah you know? yeah exactly and um and i think you know and i've i don't want to be a broken record but you know i mean that's that kind of ties back to like a lot of the, I mean, in my research, a lot of my theories that, you know, I continue to toss around are all derived from this idea of so much at the very, at the very bottom or the very basis of, of, of our consciousness and our capacity to, to abstract and, and do all of those things that all comes back to 
those initial experiences we have as infants interacting mm. with with our parents, especially mm. our mothers. Yeah. You know, I mean, I talked about this before, like the only instinct. I mean, well, all culture is is the externalization of in, of, of instincts. Right. Like right. instead of instead of well, having yeah. <laughs> you get onto that. but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's I mean, you could break that down further, but just for shorthand, you know, um, but and I've talked we've talked about this before, but like one of the very few remaining instinctive behaviors that human beings have is is to is to look for the nipple when they're as soon as they're born. Right. Which is and the, the basic program or algorithm that exists in an inf, in a newborn is find the, the dark, you know, find the figure in the ground. Right. Find the, the point of contrast. That's why nipples are dark. Mm. Right. It's literally because the infant has this basic instinctual program um, already existing inside of them that says, find the dark spot in the in the field of white or, you know, it's it's like the opposite. At death, you approach the light and at birth, you approach the dark. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's it's kind of it's funny how those bookends uh, uh, reflect each other that way. But um, and so. And then from that point on, if you build off of that basic idea, okay, now I recognize the black dot in the field of white. And then, okay, now I look up at my mother's face and, and, I, and I also listen to the sounds of her voice and I start to build this very, very rudimentary vocabulary of, of sounds and, and fuzzy images that I start to associate with the most basic emotions of, you know, fear and love, essentially, um, or, or feeling, feeling nurtured versus feeling the, the absence of a, of a source of nurture. Right. Mm. And, and, and then over time that it's a very like low resolution image, right. It's, it's just, um, a smiling face versus a frowning face, and um, uh, a raised voice or a, a whispered voice, you know, these are all like little packets of information that as an infant, you're just associating with either am I feeling cared for or nurtured and safe or am I scared and hungry, you know, mm. and then and mm. then you, it just keeps branching into new levels and layers of sophistication. And and next thing you know, you're learning the alphabet. And you've completely you don't even have any memory of these initial experiences of, of this kind of proto symbol set, you know, because mm-hmm. um, that's yeah, that's always been a big theory of mine is that facial expressions are um, a universal alpha, like proto alphabet that all human beings share. Mm. Right. Are these basic because sh- you can literally this is something you learn like in art school. You literally can take two lines. Like imagine an equal sign. Okay. The top line is the brow. The bottom line is the mouth. Okay. Mm. You, okay. And that's, that's a relaxed expression. Okay. You curve uh, the bottom line downward. Now it's a relaxed smile, right? Of a face. You, you, you make the, you keep the smile on the bottom, but then you take the top line and you make it a, a point like an upside down V. Now that's a, now that's an evil smile or no, I'm sorry. You make it a V. Right. So you have yeah. all these really simple shapes uh, of just two lines and, and whether or not it's a straight line, a curve or an angle. And you put them there's like nine or ten basic combinations of those. And those can all be associated with basic human emotions. Right. Mm. And and it's funny because those are the same basic shapes that form alphabets. Right. That yeah, form yeah. all of the symbols yeah. of an alphabet. And. That's why the, the letter X is so uh, powerful. Like it's the uh, semiotically, it's like one of the most loaded symbols in all of history is, is the cross or the X. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you look at it, it's a very lo- emotionally charged. If you if you apply that shape to the my little formula for the most the rudimentary facial expression, it's a fr- the lower portion is is a. An upside down V, and the top portion is a is a is a right side up V. And if that's the brow, then that person is angry and they're frowning. So that's like that's like the most negatively charged emotional symbol. If you if you map that as a facial expression, 
right. the, the, the cross and being cross, you know. Like right. A, exactly. Um, but that was that <laughs> in um, in the Timaeus, right? That that's um, that's Plato's symbol of the of the world soul too. Like so, every every arm of the X um, goes around and joins joins around at the other side of a sphere, you know. Yes. Yeah. So there's an X there's an X on the back of that as well. Uh, right. Ends up being two crosses. Um, right. Well, it's also what's interesting is the that shape is you know it's the union of the two fundamental uh, gender symbols of, or like the phallus and the vessel, right? Mm-hmm. You've got mm-hmm. the V and the and the A or whatever you know like mm-hmm. yeah. this was a that was a big point in the in like the only really cool well not only but one of the cool scenes in in the Da Vinci Code when they're just talking about you know, the V is like a, uh, the shape of a womb. It's the shape of the chalice. It's the shape of the grail. And the, and the opposite, the point, is the phallus and the weapon and, you know, the, the, the sword, if you will. You know what's really interesting? The word scabbard. Hmm. <laughs> Sorry, it sounds like a tangent. The word scabbard, which is the, you know, which is the thing you, you put your sword into. Right. Uh, I can look it up. Um, but in some, if you trace its etymology, its original definition is vagina. I was reading something similar to that. I was just finishing, uh, I was just finishing that book by Philip K. Dick, uh, The Penultimate Truth. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, that's a great one, eh? It was awesome. Um, and there's something like that in there as well, you know, when they're talking Wait, about it. that's the one where they're trapped, they're in like the underground city. And they send the yeah. person up the top. Yeah, yeah. They, he, he goes, he goes looking hole. for an artificial pancreas for his, uh, yes. his top mechanic who who has yes. died. Right. Um, that was a great one, man. I love. I know it's it's an excellent it's an ex. I just finished reading it. It's like it completely fits with what's going on in the world now. <laughs> like, no, totally. Totally. Nothing's nothing's real. Nobody knows what's what's going on. Uh, yep. There's conspiracy yeah. on top of conspiracy. You know. Uh, yeah, totally. It's a good one. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's the pen, it, 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 even the, the name, the penultimate truth, is the, it doesn't doesn't even get to the end. You know, it's like the, the truth before right. um, the ultimate truth can be unleashed, which is that, yeah. Uh, it's a great title. I wonder yeah. if that was his title or if it was the publisher's, because apparently that happened a lot. Like um, Doctor or uh, Doctor Blood Money. Um, or how I learned to love the bomb, or something like, or, or to live with the bomb. I think it was like a like the publisher forced him to use that title because it was right after um, Doctor Strange Love came out. Oh, so maybe maybe his that. maybe they had more control of his over his earlier novels. Like this one was. They had a lot of control. Period. Of his this stuff. one would have really been sixty four. If if Doctor Blood it, Money was the same year. It was the oh, same. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. It, I don't know if if. If the publishers came up with that title, they that it's a perfect it. title. It's a yeah. perfect title for the, for the book. <laughs> they they but really I, did it. Um, but I I have a feeling that it was him because it, he he at the end of it, like I was I was wondering all the way through why why exactly is it called the penultimate truth? But he he gets into it right at the end. Have you have you read that one, Alan? I have not. No. Yeah, that's it. I'm reading um right now I'm reading uh. A book called Pattern Recognition. It's a novel by um, William Gibson. Mm. Have you guys heard of him? Mm-hmm. He's the guy that yeah, sure. neuromancer and yeah, the cyberspace yeah, yeah. guy. Yeah. It's a really interesting premise. It's, I'm not like totally into it yet, but the premise is really cool. Where uh, the the protagonist is, her job is called a cool hunter, and she works for advertising agencies. And basically, because she has this physical, like allergic response to uh to logos and symbols she literally has like like certain symbols will literally make her like nauseous while other ones will have a opposite effect i guess and she uses that as a kind of hello who are who are designing logos and stuff like that and should they hire her to respond to them 
essentially. So they, whether or not to green light, you know, the, the, the logo and put it out and um, that's her job. Right. And, and then, but there's this, um, there's this footage, this video footage that's slowly being disseminated online that no one knows who's making it, but everybody is starting to try to, to interpret it and analyze it. And then they discover that there's like hidden, it's kind of like that cicada 303 thing or whatever it was. Um, they're finding um, hidden information in it and stuff. And she gets sent to go try to track it down. Anyway, it's an interesting book. Yeah, can cool I say book. one thing real quick about uh, when you were talking before about the like the V on top, but like basically the X and the yes. frowny face. So like I'm looking at my keyboard and I'm picturing that so clearly, but I'm also looking at how it's the it's literally like um, oh say the, the Star of David uh, or yeah. this is yeah called, exactly right where it's like. You have your your masculine and feminine cross point. Your so you mentioned that, but like literally where it's like the um, oh basically the glyph for for fire and water. Yep. Overlapped, and I believe the name David literally is those has the A and the V means to boil. Oh really? Uh, so uh, it's like you would have the fire and water overlapping each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. St- I don't know. It just like made me like I was totally seeing what you were seeing of the angeriness and the negativity, and then I also realized it's the same thing as this other very transformative and positive thing. So it, now, when you're showing this idea of these logos and having different reactions, I'm again coming back. I keep kind of landing on this thing where there's uh, what is what you know it's set and setting. So it's like what are you bringing to it that is coloring your Right. Perception of this thing is is always going to be part of the equation. Well, it's it's literally the plus sign too, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Right. Yeah, is right. it ne- how negative is it? Right, it's the yeah. plus. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know, and that's the thing about like these when you when you the, break it symbols down to like their most basic elements, and then you you start to realize that those elements in and of themselves are much more charged symbols themselves well when we get well, back I, to the earth phenomenon the the this like this like the minutest element of a thing it contains its opposite within itself that's what yeats, what's that that's what yeats called a true symbol is something that that includes its opposite like a, precise yeah yeah um, so if you think of all the the major symbols like the cross or the yin yang or it, even the even the swastika before it was taken over by the Nazis or all of these symbols are um, they include everything. Well, I think what was cool too about uh, the premise of this book is like they took this the idea that this this woman the protagonist she has this extreme sensitivity to um, to a uh, to the effect of symbols that exists in everyone, but for, in her case, it's just highly amplified. Um, and it's a great, it was, it seems like a great, um, cause that's the thing. I mean, right. Like everyone, all, anything that you, that you see, like it's the experience of looking at a string of random letters versus the experience of looking at a string of letters that form a word that is in, a, is in your language. Those are two very different. One is highly resonant and one isn't, right? And um, this type of resonance is occurring constantly. But we're, we take, you know, we complete, or just the active comprehension of any symbol, external symbol, and it's profound in and of itself. And yet we're like literally everything we're, we're completely immersed in them all the time. And it's like, it's like water to fish, you know, it's, and I think that, um, as far as the, the kind of, well, I was, I was just going to, just to finish my point, yeah, the type of magic that is, that is at, in, um, that is in use by the, the mega elite that we're talking about. I think that that's what they're tapping into is they have a very keen awareness of the sense of everyone's everyone who is conscious. They have this 
very, very powerful, but indetectable or not, or just, you know, no one, no one takes it seriously, it seems like, or, or, or wants to really give it the credit um, for how impactful it actually is. These micro resonances that are occurring at all times when you are interacting with symbols that are meaningful to you, whether it's your alphabet or pho- photographs of your children or whatever. Um, and very, there are very subtle ways in which to arrange them that are going to, um, well, you know, uh, deliver a certain um, amount of, for lack of a better term, programming to us, enough people that they are able, you know, are able to um, ascend in their own personal, uh, you know, towards their own personal goals or desires or whatever. And I did find, see, you left me questioning the etymology of David. Uh, yes, yeah, so, I see that. So it is beloved, but then comes before that, the root is boil. Yeah. To boil. Hmm. Well, that's important. Ancient words uh, about cooking are really fucking loaded. <laughs> Obviously, they turn into proper, they turn into first names. <laughs> the, like the, raw, the raw and the cooked. Right? Yep. Well, that's a huge, the whole, there's a great um, uh, Alan Moore clip on YouTube where he's like at a panel um, at this like consciousness and transcendence and consciousness uh, conference type thing that happens at, um, it's an interesting, it's a very interesting conference um, that happens at Northampton University annually. I've been meaning to try to go, Um, but he gives a talk. This was about two or three years ago and his whole spiel. And it's a really amazing talk. He does it without notes. It's all just from memory. And, but his whole thesis is everything that we, that concerns us in the present um, can be traced back to the invention of cooking in terms of just, that was the, that was the thing that, again, it introduced, you know, opportunities to cross new thresholds, but that was the thing that, caused our our skulls to change shape is not having to chew so much food that int- that opened up the, the the brain cavity in the skull to um allow for the you know the emergence of higher intelligence and it all starts from there i mean that was literally the act like accidentally somebody pulled a deer out of a fire mm-hmm. it was like hey this is pretty good I don't have to, I don't, and I don't have to spend all my energy um, uh, digesting and chewing, and so I don't need such a gigantic jawbone to chew raw. You know, that is, is that the, I don't know, the leading, is that his theory or is that like the theory of? Oh, of, that's all. This is all. He's. I mean, he's. That's all legit. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's as far it's, as archaeological some, uh, history. Yeah, this is anthropological. Claude Lévi-Strauss, who's got that book, yep. The Raw and the Cooked, he's probably taking it from. Yeah, probably. But, um, uh, so, yeah, so, but language, language about cooking are, are the, I mean, he's basically saying that language came after cooking. So language about cooking is going to, is, is ancient. I mean, those probably some of the oldest words that exist are, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, it's, sake, right. Just no, so they, those are the ones that have evolved etymologically into, you know, or this the chain, uh, the etymological chain that you can draw or the thread through some of these types of words that describe these really primeval concepts. Um, to me, that's always just the most informative, right? Is you just have this map, a symbolic map, you know, through which you can, as a basis for analysis or, you know, using your own symbols and for for whatever for whatever purpose yeah i think i think etymology is really important um, absolutely it, it, that's what it, always it I takes find you most, sorry go ahead. it takes you right back to the gods right exactly like, uh, yeah it's a path and um and, uh, and i made, I made the mistake of looking up some etymology in the last few days that like 
fucked my whole <laughs> awareness of what the fuck the world is, you know? Really? Yeah. Which, It'll do what, that. It'll do that. Yeah. What, uh, what examples? Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a very personal thing that I would, I would talk, I don't, I would talk to you about it, but not on a recorded call. Got it. Uh, it was like a, I, yeah, I keep forgetting. I accidentally, <laughs> like, I looked up one name for like a sync point of view, realized that it was a variation of an ex-lover, and that that, and then the etymology was this other goddess, and I was like, oh, this person was that role in my life, you know, like it was like that. Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. Guys, you said it, it, literally, it literally, as as you said, it takes you back to the gods. It tells you who you're dealing with. Like, and, you know, it doesn't, I think, um, I feel comfortable saying this to both of you in, in the terms of, like, just as before, you're like, the Christ, you don't mean this little, little Messiah, you mean uh, as a symbol, as the, like, it's the shorthand, it's the, it is the word we use for this transformative energetic. Mm-hmm. I mean, in that, that sense, it's like, literally, this, my experience with this person was this thing, you know, it's like, it's just it's it's madness in one respect, but it's so precise, so specific that it says this is literally what you're dealing with is this energetic. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that what's interesting is that implies that there is this almost like in the sense of the platonic ideal forms, right? There is this just repository of meaning that this word or like this name of your former lover. And that just completely aside from your own experiences, um, this definition or the, and this collection of meanings that you can trace is just sitting out there. And, and you, and you, Alan, happen to happen to have an experience with this person that happened to be that way. And it was this experience and it was that name and at some point, for whatever reason, you said, hey, what's that name mean? Oh, it means a goddess that perfectly describes this experience. You know, there, and there's that kind of collision, right? Or it's not even a collision. It's like two cars. It's, yeah. Well, it's like two cars like speeding at each other, you know, and and they stop perfectly right in front of each other. And it's just like, ah! you know, you you encounter you encounter that that. I mean, it was super resonant, right? Because it just, I think it's a great term to describe it because it's this frequency that's sitting out in the in the ether, just vibrating at a very specific rate that describes it and only it. And your experience was close, was so similar, just like if you take two tuning forks that are tuned to the exact same frequency, and if they're close enough to each other, and you hit one of them, the other one will just start to vibrate. It has no choice, right? It's just the laws of physics. So, and that's resonance, right? And and I think there's, man, I've been thinking of this so much lately of, um, like, I've, I've used this expression before, but like, realizing, that it's it's not just an analogy it it feels more more literal than an analogy or a metaphor it's like oh no it really is like this it's to say like these different systems of uh tarot uh Ching, all these sorts of things are are attempts at, at a period and you know we have the periodic table of elements it's like a periodic table of slices of time. I, you know, what do we what we call that? Um, you know, p- periodic table of t- time. I don't, just to say this this idea of the archetypes, um, maybe or something. Yeah, archetypes. The the way that things. So the, the that would be the chemical compound or the chemical reaction is you put this archetype and this archetype together, you're going to get this thing. Like that's that absolutely. Is, uh, that you have precisely described um, the kind of magical system that I think is actually at you in at play. Yeah. And, and and with because there do seem to be these 
pattern, you know, there are these patterns are real. They exist and they may not be 100 percent reliable, but they're reliable enough. Right. That they uh, and and, you know, we just there's just countless examples of of how you can derive a certain um, meaning from the combination of certain symbols and, and there's and time and time. I mean, that's what fucking creating words and sentences is, mm-hmm. you know, it's maximal uh, fidelity, right. Yeah. And compression. But I mean, and that's what I've always been wondering is like, when I say a sentence to you in a language that you understand, each one of those words, and then each pairs of words, etc. All of the different ways you can break down that sentence are an array of, a, or a stack, or one of these threads, these etymological shish kebabs, where each, you know, a kebab, right? And and the stick is is the etymological thread, and each piece of meat or vegetable on that kebab is one of these possible meanings. Right there. And so every word is 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 this stack and there's the obvious interpretation. Right. That when I say, hey, you know, I need to go home and feed my cat. There's there's the little literal interpretation. But simultaneously, every other way you can interpret that is being expressed in a very subtle way, but in a way that is happening at the same time. And like unconsciously, the you when you hear me say I need to go feed my cat are perceiving all of those possibilities on a really, really like imperceptible scale, but it's still happening. And I think that um, there are certain combinations where- Are you implying that people use, are you implying people use, I'm gonna go feed my cat as a euphemism for something? No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) Am I not familiar with this expression? No, that was just the most random thing I could think of. Actually, uh, I'm going to go and feed my cat. <laughs> what What are you really trying to say, Wally? Uh, I'm not sure, apparently. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. You said that I'm getting a whole shish kebab of meanings here. Yes, and I, exactly. I just want to make sure. I literally, I literally just want to make sure that there isn't an innuendo that I'm not familiar with. Well, that's what, no, that is what I'm trying to say. There is. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I don't even know what it is, but I'm saying it. Yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, so funny. And I think, you know, to take to take that to a more almost like, um, okay, so I'm trying to write sorry, this. Over, if I, if I over, over explain that. No, no, no. I, I, so, okay, to, 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 to your point. Like, I've been trying to write a script. I've been really struggling with writing this script for this third episode of this this uh, 2020 series. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, partially because, like, this is a subject I care about, but it's also, like, I, it's so big in my head, and I'm like, how do I just dumb it down? Or, like, or is that my job? Is it, you know, like, not dumb it, but make it small. Like, make it digestible. Yep. So... Oh, I understand. I'm I'm the last person you want to ask for help with that. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, I was like, I was. This point makes really good sense to me, and I think it'll make sense to you guys. But I don't know if it's like a point to make to a general audience. But um, when <clears throat> when when I'm like saying, "Hey, here's um, Barack Obama," gets up in front of everybody and says. You know, hey, look, I am the Lion King. And then he says, I killed the Lion King. What I mean by that is literally, I keep using that word because it's like, I'm so used to talking in fucking mixed metaphors here. But it's like, no, this is literally he's saying when he says, I have killed Osama in one language, that means lion. In one language, that means king. Even though that's not his intended meaning, it, your shish kebab analogy of like the multiple meanings stacked on each other, in a literal sense, he is uttering that sentence. In fact, that's that was the point I was trying to make. Yeah. Is that 
all meanings are always being expressed simultaneously and and they all they all color the the interpretation if only in a negligible amount this it's still happening but if you're you're going back to your algorithm and your ai example it's almost like so if i know three meanings of that word osama i just happen to know that word in japanese Mm -hmm. happen to see it in print in about arabic and happen to know that it's also the name of this guy who's this cultural you know it's like so Mm -hmm. i know three meanings and that's hyper significant to me what would Mm -hmm. happen if i knew seven meanings of that word and understanding all seven meanings of any given word in any given sentence at any time and the way that those layers of significance would pile up to this critical density yeah um right you're asking what would happen if you had so you're asking what would happen if you had seven meanings of osama <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was rhetorically asking if um if to say I happen to know three meanings of that word. Rhetorically, what happens when we start to know seven meanings of a given word? And then the, the way that our sentences can have so much more meaning and, and weight if we can just understand the different levels of your shish kebab or whatever. Then you'd start to write Finnegan's Wake. <laughs> right. yeah, you yeah. would start to write Finnegan's Wake. It's yeah, it's these puns exactly. It's yeah, like yeah, the, 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 that's the whole thing about uh, poetry or, or literature in general, but especially poetry. It's it's all about the compression of language. And if you yeah. can get, if you can include puns into that, where you have one word meaning all kinds of different layers of meaning, and then they reflect off of each other, mm-hmm. then then the available meaning that you can get from that web is is infinite 